Hello, welcome to Spark. This is a podcast about practices and habits that spark a deeper love. Today we'll be talking to Megan Raby. She is the author of My Brother Otto, a picture book illustrated by Elisa Plamer about the love, acceptance and understanding of differences a young crow has for her brother, who is neurodivergent and non-speaking. Specifically, he's autistic. Meg holds a master's degree in speech-language pathology with a certification in autism spectrum disorders from the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. She has several years of experience working with autistic children ages 2 to 17. Meg is also an ambassador for Culture City, a non-profit a movement that makes places and spaces sensory inclusive and an avid advocate for the neurodivergent community. We're so happy to have her join us today for this conversation. Meg, thanks so much for chatting today. It's delightful. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. Really glad to be able to have this conversation with you. Um, We're going to be talking about a few things, um, what it looks like um, to experience neurodiversity, kind of what that is, and then your connection with Culture City. But I think a really good place to start might be, like you've published a couple of children's books, um, and I think it just gives some really good context for the conversation that we're going to have. So maybe you could just start out by telling us about the books that you've published, or there's one upcoming, right? Yes. It's about to be released. So maybe you can just tell us about those books and where the motivation came for writing them and what some of their content is. Yes. Um, Great question. Um, I will make sure I don't give the hour long answer to (laughs) books because I definitely can provide one of those. Um, So the title of my book is My Brother Otto. And last fall, it was given the green light to be turned into a whole series. So the second one is coming out this August. So exciting. I'm so excited about it. Um, the book that is coming out is Mm -hmm. auto going to a birthday party and it specifically is tied into, I I really address the sensory processing in it. Mm. The first one did not go as much, it touches on it for sure. But this one like dives deeper into, you know, you enter a birthday party. What is that like? And my brother Otto is about two crow siblings. The older one is Piper. She's probably around the age of six or seven. And then Otto, he is neurodivergent or autistic. Um, And he's probably around the age of four in the book. And it's all about like Piper's love and affections for her brother and asking Mm -hmm. some legit questions that a child that is the age of six or seven would ask. Um, And it came about for a couple of, I would say for a couple of key reasons. So the first one being when I was in preschool, there was a child named Otto in my preschool class. So that's where the name Otto in my book, my brother Otto comes from. And he would always be one-on-one. I went to this little tiny private Christian school. There was probably like 10 kids in our class. And one of them was Otto. And he would be with a one-on-one teacher or aide. And he'd always be kind of off to the side. And um, he would twist his wrists back and forth a lot really quickly. And me being the ever curious little Meg and still curious adult, um, 
would ask questions of like, why, why are you doing that auto? And, you know, auto wouldn't respond back because he was non-speaking mm-hmm. and I don't know where he is now. Cause he could, he could actually be speaking now, which is interesting to think about, or he could still be non-speaking and using a form of, um, an alternative form of communication, like a tablet, like auto mm-hmm. in my book does. And I just remember the teachers all saying like, oh, he's fine. You know, like he's happy. Mm-hmm. He's fine. Like kind of like this nervous, anxious energy around it, but like just saying, oh, you're Meg, go play. Like you're fine. And Otto's, he's great. He's happy. He's fine. And I'd be like, okay. Like, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't come to story time. Like he doesn't come to circle time. He doesn't at recess come join us. And he's always with the aid. Um, and mind you, I don't want to throw any teacher under the bus. I think autism is still very new of what we're learning about it. And um, those teachers, I think we're doing the best. Mm-hmm. They could. And, um, but I will not lie to this day. I'm always thinking about Otto of like, well, what back then, like, did he want, did he want to hang out with all of us? Mm-hmm. little, little peers, you know, like, did he want to come and join us? And my answers to that, like I came to the conclusion of like, he probably did. I mean, maybe not all the time. Cause yes, sometimes you can get, um, sensory overload and things might like, you might actually need a break from the peers and that's okay. But it's like, we missed opportunity to be inclusive with him. And mm-hmm. if anything, I think young kids specifically, like they have a desire to know things and then to be kind and inclusive. And like, they're the most accepting human beings, I think ever. So I, in graduate school, had pursued a degree, a master's in speech and language pathology. And what ended up happening is I was assigned to a professor Mm. in his lab and I worked with him with a bunch of autistic preschoolers Mm. and ended up just like falling completely in love with these kids and being really fascinated just with everything that I was learning that was more hands-on versus Mm. learning about autism from a textbook. Um, So then I did the research with the professor Mm -hmm. and loved that. And then I also did a practicum experience Mm -hmm. in graduate school where I spent six months at this autism center working with kiddos ages like two to 15 at that time. Mm -hmm. And I remember just the first day walking in there and being like, okay, like this is what my thoughts are of what autism is. And now I am seeing autism in its spectrum, like across Mm -hmm. a variety of girls and boys. And after the first day, like I remember one of the biggest like myths that were like debunked to me is just like, there's not like people will say there's this desire to be in your own world and to be left kind of alone. Like they're like, we're okay. Like, let's be in our own world and we're fine. But I couldn't, I couldn't like argue that more the opposite of how I'd walk down the hallway by the end of the first day. And one of these little kiddos, he's my favorite. I won't say his name but he would just, he's three years old and would run up to me, mm-hmm. like give me the biggest hug, like hang on to me and then start like flapping both of his hands in mm-hmm. excitement. And I was like, okay. So like, I've, you know, you do hear a lot about like stimming and like the flap, like oh, sometimes children or adults will flap as a stim or an excitement. It's like an expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you say the word stem, 
Yeah. Oh, great question. Stimming is, um, it's like a, anything that you do that can be, it's repetitive. Mm -hmm. It can be a movement that you do. It can be a vocalization that you do over and over a hum. Um, and we, I would say like all humans do it to some extent for sure. Mm -hmm. And then those that are autistic and some others that are neurodivergent as well, we'll use it as a way to regulate mm. and like feel calm mm. or to express like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm going to flap. Like I'm overjoyed. My body's going to burst. Like I have mm. to get this out. <laughs> and so this little child, like it was just the cutest thing. And I'm like, I'm not that cool, but he <laughs> always gets so excited when he's um, mm. would see me. And this was just immediately evident after even the first day of working with him and just honestly playing with him. I am in graduate school and I'm learning about this population. And if I wouldn't have had this practicum experience, I would not see kind of like all of the nuances in Mm -hmm. autism. And I wouldn't have seen like okay, they're not a list of, they call them like the 13 red flags of autism. Mm. Like that is not, they don't have red flags, like they're human. And the practicum experience really shoved me into kind of, I I guess I would say marrying a passion of my, or a dream of mine when I was a kid with um, this newfound realization as an adult. So when I was a child, I wanted to be I wanted to write a children's book, just one. I just wanted to write one book and get it out there because I love books and I love writing. And um, as soon as this realization as an adult happened in grad school, I was like, you know, I'm going to sit down and kind of like write a book actually to myself as Little Meg. And what Little Meg would have wanted to know like about an autistic individual. Wow. Yeah. So that's where I combined everything that I've said so far to put together to form the picture book, my brother Otto, which is geared toward ages like three to seven year olds. So yeah, that's Hmm. how the book came about. It's really beautiful because it feels like it's this culmination of a lot of things like you as a little like little Meg, not necessarily understanding, but wanting to understand, but not being given the opportunity to. And then maybe Otto also not given the opportunity. And then this schooling that you go through um, and then the insights that you learn through experience. Mm -hmm. I can hear you are providing this book to like little Meg, but also to (laughs) other families and kids that might just have curious questions that then like as you as you leaf through a book, it's like, oh, here's some of here's some insight to mm-hmm. some of these questions that can then, like you said, provide mm-hmm. opportunities for inclusion or provide opportunities for people and um, to be seen and understood in ways that maybe aren't always possible with a bit of without that kind of insight that you yes. lend. So it's so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um when you think about um, the book or you think about the next, like the series of books, um, mm-hmm. what is your hope? I mean, you mentioned 
Like I think about the way you talk about the book itself or the way you talk about inclusion. And then you talk about like, oh, there's these 13 red flags of autism. Like that's a, it's a different approach. Like mm. I hear you say like 13 red flags of autism and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there need, there's needs to be concern. There needs to be like, and not to say that there doesn't, but I think um, without insight around ne- being neurodivergent or neurodiversity in general, it can feel like, oh, the, we have to be watching out for these red flags. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's a reframing yeah. that you're trying to do through these books or through your experience. Would you just talk a little bit about um, like why we need that reframing or what that reframing is or how you intend to kind of speak into the this our community or it's so long the question is so long how you intend to speak in um to this conversation by reframing yeah um that might be the best question I've ever been asked oh you just asked you stated that so well like I think there is like you say exactly the language we use there's power Mm. in language and even if like even if not intentional, like I'm sure, I'm sure there were some great scientists that were like, okay, this is what we're seeing. We're going to list it out. And then it just became, you know, the 13 red flags and like, um, and there are some people, we won't go into it, but there are some people that do have a drive of like, how can we cure, you know, neurodivergence? How can we cure autism? Um, and so the reframing, I think, I think the reframing is absolutely everything. Um, hmm. And I think that the book or the first book specifically shows that Otto, that yeah, like while he experiences the world a little bit differently and he might do things differently. I think I end it with this, like he he's just a little kid, a little crow, just like you and me who wants to have fun and be hmm. loved. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think our internal dialogue that we have in ourselves about what it means to be autistic kind of shapes, like, is that autistic child or that autistic adult going to be loved and have fun? Wow. Like, like, I think like, if you step back, it's like, oh, you might not even intentionally be meaning um, to respond in a certain way that you are. So I think this reframing it's literally, I think for almost, for almost everyone, like, it's like, again, getting curious, asking questions about like, well, what does their, what does their fun look like? What does, how, how can I love? Um, And the best way to do that, I think is just by listening. And I think that my books, what's great is that again, it makes it very accessible for the youngest of readers. Mm. Um, and the whole series, the goal will be taking auto through a variety of experiences. And I'm like, it's going to be like the Berenstein Bears, but way better. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always think of the Berenstein Bears and too much junk food. But uh, <laughs> but I want auto to be to be seen in a variety of different spaces around that, like even the child that's reading it or even the adult, the autistic adult that's reading Mm -hmm. would be like, Oh yeah. Like 
you know, either I have been on an airplane or I have not and would like to go on one, or I'm terrified of going on an airplane. Um, and just to kind of see like, how would one specific autistic person or crow, what was their experience? What did that look like? How can I relate to that? And then those that are neurotypical in reading these books, they can be like, oh, well, maybe that kid that's on the plane that is yelling maybe at their dad during takeoff or starting to get out of their seat when the no, like when the stay seated sign is on, like maybe there's something more going on. Maybe they're not really a naughty kid, not listening to mommy and daddy, but it's like they're experiencing something totally different. Um, or maybe the adult that closes his eyes and puts on noise canceling headphones on the airplane. Like we might think they're listening to a podcast, but it would be equally possible that they might be a little overwhelmed as well by Mm -hmm. the airplane and all that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, so I love, love the idea that the books can foster this curiosity in young kids in all the places. Like we're going to take them to birthday parties. That's the one that's coming out in August. Um, on a vacation that'll be the third one and then we'll see where we go from there but like museums and um basketball games like I don't know everywhere school first day of school um and just to get kids kind of to learn like at a young age you can step back ask questions about like well why I wonder what they're doing or what their experiences are versus thinking this um child is just possibly I was just going to use the word because I think a lot of kids use it it's weird or strange mm-hmm. um and it it takes away even the weird or the strange and it just mm-hmm. um like I feel like that that word could even be like eliminated because it's no longer weird it just is and then you ask the questions and you see again like oh there's so much more humanity and like with neurodivergence again there's like it's like So I don't know the exact percentage, but I know it's like one in six with a sensory processing issue. And then with autism, it's, I mean, in a, in any room that you're in, there's probably an autistic person in in the room that you're in. And so, yeah, it's time. It's time for everyone, the world, kids, adults to get curious and to, um, hopefully use see the importance like I guess (laughs) I don't want to toot my own horn about the books but like to see the importance of a book like my brother Otto and having it in their home library or at their school and starting these conversations at a young age well and I love that you've titled it my brother Otto like there's a and the ways that you're framing it is this curiosity that can lead to compassion or inclusion and I think what you've articulated so well is that with a neurotypical brain, it may not even dawn on us to consider that there are certain types of sensory inputs that are causing pain, like physical pain, or that there's an assumption that, oh, maybe there's something going on that's just, like you said, there's weird or mm-hmm. um, behavioral issues rather than, oh, no, there's something going on there that is is painful and so I I know you've said in the past too in our conversations that that can people can feel isolated like adults who experience that can start to feel isolated because that the 
the communities aren't set up necessarily for folks who are mm-hmm. neurodivergent and then families who have children who have experienced um, different kinds of things or who have autism that that can also feel really isolating so I I love that you you're like it's time <laughs> it's time because <laughs> people are, are feeling outside of community or right? it's outside of belonging and so it seems like these books are part of your way I know you do other things but it's like part of your way of of telling stories so that people can understand how to be more inclusive mm-hmm. yeah no definitely you've introduced us to culture city mm-hmm. like as a community and it's the non-profit I'm just going to read what they say about who they are culture city the nonprofit on sensory accessibility and acceptance for those with invisible disabilities mm-hmm. um and it's like you said one in six individuals have a sensory need or an invisible disability and like you've mentioned people who have autism but there's also individuals with ptsd or dementia or strokes traumatic brain injuries that then give them these invisible yeah. um, disabilities Um, And that sensory needs are a common medical condition where the brain is having trouble um, receiving and responding to information that comes through the senses. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's so helpful, like that you introduced us to Culture City and that they do these trainings. Like I just went through the training myself because, and so insightful, like we have these different senses and we're pro our brains are processing and and if communities aren't aware of it, it the individuals do withdraw mm-hmm. um, because there's not um, things provided that would help the environment yeah. and with that sensory processing. Um, and so maybe you can just tell us about how you got involved with Culture City, why you feel passionate about what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And then we can just talk a little bit about the practical things that are available from them. Yeah. Awesome. Yes. I have big affections for Culture City and because they're doing something like they're actually like they're doing big changes like throughout not just um, here locally in Salt Lake City, but like all over, all over the world. I think they've um, reached over 800 different venues and businesses and airports and all the above. But um, I originally, I had met Julian Maha, who is the founder of Culture City and his wife, Michelle Kong. Um, I had spoken specifically with Julian. I just, I'll never forget. Like I was in my backyard on the phone with him. Cause he was like, let's chat on the phone. And mm-hmm. He was like, all right, like, tell me your pie in the sky dreams and like, let me share about Culture City with you. And it was a really beautiful conversation just centered around getting a group of people that are that are not are, that are often overlooked because you hit on one of the words like an invisible disability or um I think that that conversation got me super excited. He had kind of shared like they're out of Birmingham, Alabama, and that they had just started. Um, they had been up and going for a couple of years at that time. It was like 2019 that I originally connected. 
And he just so graciously, like he saw my passion and like invited me into the Culture City family. And I since then have helped promote what they do and get people excited about Culture City and get excited about learning about um, those with sensory needs and sensory processing differences. So again, you have around like one in six individuals with some sort of invisible disability or sensory processing difference. And Culture City has made it possible for um, getting both children and adults with these differing processing um, into lots of places that are very common to a lot of other people. So like mm. um, basketball games, like locally, they are at Vivint Arena and the jazz has really embraced um, this movement with Culture City. And now like you go to a game, you can invite your whole family. You can invite your neurodivergent boyfriend and say, we can go because guess what? Like they have these tools and accommodations available for you, including these sensory bags that you, you go up to one of like the main kiosks and they will hand you a bag that is full of these noise canceling headphones. And they like, because venues can get really loud for sure. Yeah. And I'm overwhelmed yeah. and like you, it can make you enter it for two seconds. And you're like, Nope, this is not for me. I'm going to leave. But this allows them to stay a little bit longer, hopefully. Um, and then there's little fidget toys in there in case, um, sometimes that can, a fidget can help you to process information that you're receiving better. Cause it actually like, it like, again, it can regulate and help you to stay focused on information you're receiving. Um, it can also help if you're anxious about something like letting go of that stress with the fidget. And then there is a communication card that talks about like your emotions and some of um, individuals that can become sensory overloaded and meaning overwhelmed um, with sensory wise, it could be the temperature, it could be a variety, it could be temperature and noise and the sweat going down your neck, like it could be all those things. And then this card is for those that are non-speaking or that will become in the moment because of an anxiety non-speaking. And so then they can point to how they're feeling and possibly what they need. Um, mm. And it's great because like these pictures are kind of universal and people would see like, oh my gosh, this person is, you know, they're not doing well and they really need a quiet space to go to or water or something. So they need some help right now. And mm. we can better understand that now because they have these tools available and I think it's given so many families of sense of a peace of mind of like oh like no longer do I need or no longer do I feel like I have to stay home and like I can't go to that basketball game because people might look at us and we're going to cause a cause a scene or something like that but they've made it possible to you know, be a part and to belong in that arena. Um, but I, I mean, outside of arenas, like they have uh, trained and certified museums, airports, um, a bunch of different individual shops 
libraries and um, I just want to make sure I'm not missing it. Oh yeah. And even like recently they did, like they've been following um, Paul McCartney and doing um, his concerts. So they're doing really wow. amazing things all over. And it's like, that's, what's huge about culture city is it's like, they're not, they don't just do the big pie in the sky. Like, um, like Paul McCartney, you know, like it's not just him, but that's awesome that they can do that. But they also, they'll do like the small mom and pop shop and mm -hmm. they will do, you know, churches like our church, like Missio. Mm -hmm. And it's equally important. You know, it doesn't, mm -hmm. it's like people need to be everywhere and not um, just that when there's a grand event, like we don't just want them to be able to go. We want them everyday living, like going into all these places and knowing like the world is for you. And mm -hmm. we're excited to have you here and we're going to accommodate you. And so, um, but well, and I think that's what I love so much about what you just described is that people can begin to enjoy places where they might get overstimulated, that the immediate response isn't like, oh no, I can't go to church today. Or, oh no, I can't go to this basketball game or I can't go to this coffee shop. And there's like community awareness. The reason that I can go is because now there's this newfound community awareness. There's this bag I can pick up. Mm -hmm nobody's going to perceive that as out of the ordinary if I put on my headphones or if I have my fidget tool or my weighted lap pad or I need or there's like a quiet place that I know is there the signs to that quiet place that mean like I can get away and get that silence for a second so that I can regulate myself um, or if I lose the the ability in that moment to communicate I have this card like someone's going to come to me um, calmly and curiously and like help me to point out on this card how I'm feeling and what I need and then I'm going to get the support that I need and all of a sudden it's like oh we're a team <laughs> we're a team it's like team work you know yeah. and we can be a team with families we can be a team with individuals um instead of like feeling intimidated mm -hmm. by um difference or by um yeah. And not, I mean, maybe difference isn't even the right word, like being intimidated by something that is not familiar. Yeah. Like all of a sudden it's like, oh, this might be what's going on there. This is how I can lean in to that moment and how I can like be a comrade or an ally or participate with. And then here's like, I can tell someone in my church where that, where that sensory bag is and or I can tell somebody at this coffee shop that they have those sensory bags or go to the Paul McCartney show. And it just feels exciting because there's a kind of um, teamwork that can happen. And, um, and I think that Culture City does make it so accessible to everyone and makes the training really accessible, like the half an hour training and then um, is providing these sensory bags um, so that communities can have them like us. It's just, it just is so encouraging to me. And then it, it's amazing how it does dovetail with what you've, like you have this book and then you meet them and then we can be um, mm -hmm. equipped to, um, yeah, better belong to one another as a community. And so it's just exciting. It's so exciting. <laughs> I'm, yeah, 
Um, you said a word earlier, like two seconds ago, you said like that he can't, like that the person can now go. And I'm like, yes, they like get rid of the can'ts. And I, I think that that is, I mean, that's the way to live life. Like that's the way um, we should want humans. Like we want them to be able to have enriching, wonderful experiences. Um, now I know if you are someone with a sensory processing difference, like you know that you will be better understood mm -hmm. and that you can, again, I think we've said this a lot in this little time chatting, but like enter into the movie theater or the birthday party or the venue and know like you can breathe <laughs> a little bit and mm -hmm. uh, know that you're understood a little bit better. Well, that's what was so interesting about when we talked about this on Sunday, a couple of weeks ago, in our community at Missio, um, the gentleman afterwards, that I know we both talked to, yeah. but just his, you know, him having been in, a, in an accident and then now having some um, sensory challenges, he just said in his, you know, just a few days earlier, he's like, I can't be the only one. Like, I can't be the only one who's experiencing some of this, like, physical pain because of mm -hmm. um, stimulation, sensory stimulation. And then um, for him to be visiting and come and visit and be like, oh, right, this is, it isn't only me. And this, this is so validating. And I just, like, you got, we both got a little teary, like, looking oh, yeah, at that's each other. Right now, <laughs> like, my hyper empathy is kicking in and I'm like... Yeah, when he came up, I was like, I mean, that's yeah, that's why that's why the stuff with Culture City and the stuff with my book means so much because mm -hmm. no one wants to be alone, like no one. <laughs> and it is a very lonely it can, or it can be a very lonely mm -hmm. experience and that gentleman, like his situation too, like of getting in an accident and I don't think people realize like, yeah, I think it was, he got rear-ended like that. He's fine. Like physically outwardly, he's fine, but like internally possibly for the rest of his life, he has to deal with severe pain to like lights and sound. And um, yeah, he was an older man and had tears in his eyes saying like, mm -hmm. I'm so happy I'm here this Sunday to hear about you and culture city. And um, he's like, what can I do to get involved? And so like that excitement mm -hmm. of like, you know, he's stepping into, he's like, I'm seen, <laughs> like, what can I do? How can I, you know, how can I participate? And I think that's really cool too, um, to have those that are experiencing these things get involved as well. Yeah. I think, oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. And I think that just kind of leads in maybe to like the last question of yeah, permissio, you know, we want the community to take this training so that more people are aware, more people have understanding of what some of these um these things are and then also beyond like whoever is tuning in beyond like we've experienced how helpful culture city is and how um like you said they can kit out the vivant arena with the jazz and then yeah. they can kit out our little community or coffee shop and so you know if people listening to this want to bring some of this awareness to their workplaces or to their um, gym even or to their communities of any kind, they can yeah. do so 
Um, so I don't know if you want to say anything about that. We can, we'll list yeah. the link for the training for people at Missio and then just more broadly, how would people get connected with Culture City if they have ideas yeah. for their workplaces or their um, communities of any kind? Definitely. So that's great. And again, I think you hit on it. It's like, it's like a fire. It starts with a spark and like, it's getting bigger and bigger. And so it's exciting. And I'm like, you don't want to miss it. You got to join this movement. It's great. Um, but yeah, culturecity.org. Like you can go to their website and learn tons. I mean, they have everything accessible there. Um, and there's even a way to contact them and like fill out okay we're interested like what does this look like can we get connected and then this lovely woman named Uma (laughs) she will reach out and she will get you up and running in no time and give you the ins and outs on pricing um if you have a like specific company and like due to the size and I'll tell you like it's I mean I guess you know because of Missio it's not it's not pricey um, no. and what's great is it's ongoing. Like it's yes. not like one and done thing. You, you took the training, you're done. It's like, no, cause we're still learning or we want to, maybe we want to adjust something. So then the next year you can have another little 30 minute course, um, to update for that, that year and like so forth. And they're always available to reach out to for questions. Um, and I mean, if you want to reach out to me, you can, because I'm a Culture City ambassador. So you can literally type or email me at megraby, R-A-B-Y, at gmail.com. And I can also get you connected as well. Um, But also just be paying attention to like where, like when you go on, go to the airports and whatnot and be checking for their symbol because it's really I think that's also encouraging it's like Mm. it's this new sign that I'm like we're gonna see it all over the place and it's a black and white picture that has um, noise canceling or lessening um, headphones with a heart on Mm it modern and designy looking it's very cool looking Um, but that's yeah that's popping up all over and what's fun in Salt Lake City I didn't mention this but our mayor is also equally enthusiastic about culture city and has done amazing work. And we're continuing. We were just chatting like two nights ago about, um, we had mentioned a couple of months ago, getting all of downtown Salt Lake city, like, like the, the major businesses and restaurants, getting them all certified so that we could have the whole city literally be, um, a sensory inclusive space. Everyone's going to move here. Uh, but yes and yeah this is an exciting time and there's much beauty that is happening and that is coming and I think I think I said this too on Sunday when I was chatting with you in our church that I think right now specifically you know we're on the tail end slash kind of in the middle still (laughs) of the pandemic and um, there's just a lot of sad, 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 sad news constantly. And um, right now, lots of people, there's like heaviness. And even I myself will get in a place sometimes where I'm just like, and I'm done. Like, this is too much. And I think when we see a thing like Culture City happening and we see this movement happening, it's important to 
um, identify that. And like, cause I think it's like very nourishing to the soul and keeps you afloat and hopeful. Um, cause there's legit beauty like happening. And I think it's easy to not see that when there's a lot of competing and legitimately awful <laughs> things happening. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is, um, yeah, they're, they're encouraging for sure. Well, and I think it speaks to human resiliency, human innovation, like human creativity. When we, you know, there are things in our lives where we're confronted by boundaries and barriers and difficulty. And I think um, the thing about Culture City and you and the book and communities of people that are neurodivergent, there's this imagination all of a sudden that produces this beautiful camaraderie um you know it's it it does feel like it speaks so deeply to resiliency like and the human need for belonging like the option isn't that people would be alone the option isn't that people would have to stay at home the option isn't that people would be marginalized like let's get creative let's you know build uh, pathways for reconnection and build pathways where we can belong to one another, even though we maybe even receive the world differently from a physiological standpoint in our brains. And if that isn't like motivating for what the world is in right now, where it may not be physiologically that we receive the world differently, it could be ideologically or from all kinds of different ways. And I think maybe this community is kind of paving the way or beckoning the way for you know, there's pathways that we can walk down that help us to belong to each other again like we don't have to you know and it's like thank you thank you so community <laughs> so I just want to express gratitude for you for doing that work of reconciliation and doing that work of advocacy and that it not it doesn't only teach us about this realm of being it has a, it can motivate us in a lot of different ways to figure out how we can move towards each other and not just away yeah so feel thankful for you i mean join you are joining you already have to join but like the, tell everyone join it's so great it's so fun. <laughs> Well, the reason we are is because you are saying join, join. And we're like, okay, Meg, we're joining. Thanks for the invite. I'm a little obnoxious, but that's okay. We need obnoxious people. It's fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us. And we can keep people posted about book readings that you're doing and and all that kind of thing because we want to keep learning. Thank you so much. And this has been so fun and so great and important thanks for listening if you're interested in learning more about culture city go to their website k-u-l-t-u-r-e-c-i-t-y dot org also look up meg's book my brother otto and if you're listening in as a part of missio day community go to our blog to get details on trainings missiodayslc.com. Again, thanks for joining. I hope you've been inspired to learn more.